0: one of the things you kept saying over and over again is like caution being aware of this has the tendency to change your behavior if you let it if you don't practice and so like i just kept thinking like i'm gonna meet him this i know he's gonna try and read me in the first second that i meet him and i wonder how i'm
1: gonna do yeah no it's definitely one of those weird things where you start thinking about your behavior and the moment you do that without practice on what you want your behavior to be it changes yeah and it what usually is the difference is the speed with which some of the responses or interactions occur. They come and go slightly quicker than it is natural. And when that happens, we, on the receiving end, whether you know about body language or you don't, have an instinctive response that tends to make us feel more guarded.
0: Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com You probably shouldn't Google that Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast I'm Joe And I'm Josh This is a show where we help you get unstuck Tell a better story And have a good answer to the question What are you doing today? And today we have a very special guest in the studio Terry Baham Hey,
1: hey, 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 hey. I'm going to try, try and match your voice when I'm doing this. No, oh, no. yeah, right. It will sound right.
0: So this is totally off topic right off the bat, but I feel like I would be much more successful in my life if I had your accent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've worked incredibly hard to get it, so I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> the Australian accent is amazing. It's good because I'm English.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Are you straight up? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> All right. So oh let me tell you a little bit about Terry before we jump in here. He was with the Royal Marine Commandos for four years. He spent about 15 years teaching combatatives like guns and fighting and different various fighting yep. styles. Absolutely. And interestingly enough, now, which is what I'm, we're also very excited to talk to you about on this, is you are so kind of switching gears and focusing on teaching courses and helping executives and helping people in business understand things like mastering your body language. The advantage that you can get from understanding your body language and reading body language and other people and how to add that to your skill set and tool set as a business owner, a business leader that sounds fantastic.
1: It's amazing. And because we all deal with people every single day, it's amazing to me that there isn't a curriculum already in schools that teaches this as part of the you know, the essentials, the math, the English, all this stuff, because right. you don't come out knowing how to read. You're sort so supposedly just got to cuff it and figure it out as you go. And of course, there are a lot of pitfalls to doing that and a lot of ways to mess it up. So body language, to me, it's been a fascination for years. Right. And it, formed a part of the curriculum. When I was teaching the combatives, I loved teaching people how to fight. Anything from guns, edge weapons, Muay Thai kickboxing, it was it was great. Right, But most people are not going to take the kind of time necessary to become really proficient, to fight their way out of something in a life-threatening situation. So I always had this underlying curriculum of, Well, you know what? You should try and avoid it if possible. And here's how you avoid it and teach them environmental signals or signs from other people, body language signals that might indicate that the person they're looking at is up to no good. And if you can read them and use your smarts, hopefully you don't ever have to fight your way out of something.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Now, you actually you were on a TV show, right?
1: I was, yeah, a couple of them actually. <laughs> it's like I keep trying; <laughs> they keep kicking me out. They're like, "No, no, 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 it's, not, it's just not right for you." So,
0: the Discovery Show is the it was on Discovery History Channel. History Channel. What was that one? So,
1: I'm an Australian that was on the uh, right. Discovery Channel.
0: <laughs> He's an Australian Discovery Channel star.
1: <laughs> Terry, everyone. <laughs> So History Channel, yeah, it was on Top Shot, which is a competitive shooting show. It was on for a number of years. Fantastic experience. And it's exactly as you might expect. It's nothing as it seems. Equipment was breaking all the time. Firearms wouldn't work. Lighting was down. The sounding. As you can imagine, (laughs) okay, we're in this booth and we've got all these microphones set up. right. We'd be on the range and we'd be shooting and they'd say, hold on, everyone stop there's a helicopter about three miles away and we're picking it up on audio. I'm like, how the hell can you hear that on the, you know, with all the gunshots? It's
0: like, excuse me, you might be pointing yeah. the microphone the wrong direction, sir.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it could be, but it was, it was a great experience.
0: So tell us a little bit about the, the company now, what you get to do, what your ideal client is.
1: I go wherever I'm requested to go to teach a variety of different topics. All of it with body language as a foundation. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Everything from DIRT, dangerous individual recognition training, how to identify a threat as early as possible so that you can avoid it, through to how to be better in front of a camera, how to get up and present and be an authentic version of yourself. Because as you guys probably know, video content is king and you need to be producing it if you're a business owner. It's a way for an audience to get to know, like, and trust you, So that marketing trifecta. But everything from that to teaching and coaching executives on how to be better when they stand up and they communicate, there's so many different facets to how we come across and how we communicate. So I kind of help with all of them, everything from avoiding the fight to being better when you get up on stage.
0: So I have to imagine with the the dirt component of it and the – identifying dangerous individuals. the That's more like your security type people. Cops.
1: <gasps> no. People like no, that. No, no, no. That, i tell you what, you'd think so. It's not. But no, my goal is to reach the people that are going to be on the front lines by complete accident when something goes down. So oh. I actually teach a lot to hospitals, a lot to corporations that have either a component of the public that may be coming through on a revolving door, or even the employees. Once you get past about 20, 25, 30 employees at any company, you can never be sure what's going on in their lives. Right. The extended family, the friends, the divorcees, all of this stuff, all of these are components of, of potential threats. Even the contractors that are delivering services to the building are a potential source of a threat. And mm-hmm. although cops, and I have trained them, and judges, and security, I've trained all of those, they need to know what sure. to look for they're not going to be around when you need them. They're, it's going to be you know you me the, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith down the road. They're going to be in Walmart one day minding their own, grabbing the groceries, and some muppet's going to walk in and decide his bad luck or his bad life is everybody else's fault. Mm. I teach those people all of them to identify that threat so they can avoid it. Yeah, but yes, of course, if I get called from a law enforcement department to come train, great, that's great. But I my goal is to teach all the people that up until this point perhaps have not considered they are capable of seeing the threat early enough to avoid it.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about it without giving away the secret sauce? <laughs> some yeah. of the things to there's, look for.
1: Well, some of the things to look for. One of the things that happens when somebody's in predatory mode is a reduction in head movement. So when you watch people moving across a parking lot, there's a natural relaxed sort of fluidity of motion, unless of course they're on their cell phone, as you know the rest of the population tends to be. <laughs> but there's reduction in head movement, there's a reduction in arm movement, and part of that is because we reduce our movement when we try not to attract attention. Everything kind of shrinks. Now, there's another side to that as well. If somebody's carrying a weapon and it's concealed, everybody thinks it's cool because of Hollywood just to stuff the pistol down their pants, no holster, they don't think about it, they haven't trained. Yeah. Well, if they move too much... Firearm's going to slip, knife's going to slip, hammer's going to slip, whatever it is they're using on that particular day. So they reduce movement in order to not risk losing the said tool they're going to use for the attack. So there are all these different components of movement that change just on their way to a building. Yeah, That's the first thing. Now the other thing is, are you looking? Because most people are not that attentive. We've got so much going on in our lives. So I balance my curriculum of all these signals, because there are twenty-one different body language signals that you should be looking for, along with the science arm and the psychology behind being attentive. Yeah. So that you can so you can notice it or at least give yourself a chance.
0: There's so many applications to being a student of what you're a student of or mastering the skills that you're talking about, I have to imagine. Let's talk a little bit about what it is to kind of master that skill and what benefit it brings to somebody who's learning how to present, even just network, like you're out and you're talking about your business.
1: Well, isn't that an interesting challenge? You yeah. want to go into every situation being an authentic version of yourself. Right. Both of you have an authentic way of behaving when you meet somebody for the first time. Right. The person that builds rapport the fastest is the one that can put themselves second to a friendly approach, who can put their own guarded behavior to the side long enough to extend the olive branch of, hey, it's great to meet you. Hmm. You have to be authentic. You, you can't change your behavior to the degree that you start coming off as being too contrived. Like everything's right. too controlled because that, that way people won't trust you. So it's
0: not so much a formula like do these things. It's You have to be authentic.
1: Yes. Now there are some things you could do. For instance, perhaps one of the things you could do on a very first approach is to lift your eyebrows up as you approach the individual you're about to say hi to. It doesn't take much. A second, two seconds, three seconds, just a little raise. But that lifting of the eyebrows. Oh, it's working. (laughs) Josh has got it. (laughs) Yeah, once you start thinking about your eyebrows, they'll be all over the place. (laughs) But if you lift them up, don't wiggle them because it'll get weird in a hurry. (laughs) If you just lift them and open your eyes up, that's the opposite to a threatening sign. You know, if you were about to attack someone, your eyebrows are going to follow. They're going to drop to protect the eyes. The eyebrows going up says, I'm pleased to meet you. I recognize you and I Have no intention of attacking because here are my open eyes to make you feel relaxed. It's such a simple thing to do. Now, yeah. would it take a little practice to make it natural? Yes. Right.
0: Because, I mean, being aware of it, I get to see myself trying to practice this. The next time I'm like, why are you so surprised, sir? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And it's ironic because guys are the worst at this. Because when we approach someone for the first time, I hate to say it, boys, but we have ego in the way. We're measuring up whether this person is a potential threat and yeah. how do we you know, measure to, to them. And yep. there are all these different factors that play into it. We yet- all
0: got that friend that's like sizing everybody up to be like, I think I I could take him in a fight
1: exactly <laughs> yes and nine times out of ten your friend couldn't take anyone to fight so it's like why are you even bothering you're better off being friendly so part of it is putting aside the ego long enough to you don't have to stop assessing somebody you can still assess whilst you open up your eyes and smile warmly and say it's great to meet you mm-hmm. but that very rarely happens in a first meeting between two strangers in the first few seconds. But the person that does that, the person that opens up their eyes, smiles and warmly says, great to meet you, will undoubtedly disarm the other person, at least to the degree that the other person is now willing to kind of extend some of that energy back and meet you in the middle. Because that's where that mirroring neuroscience comes in. If somebody smiles at you, It is nearly impossible to not smile back. Yeah, if you don't smile back, like you got to
0: be like a sociopath, right? Like, yes. Hey, Josh, how you doing? Just the stone face,
1: stone cold (laughs) killer. But that's what happens. Those mirror neurons they kick in, and what happens is a signal sent from the brain to the to the muscles that replicate what you're seeing, and they mirror. And so that then starts to become something that you trigger earlier in somebody else. And the irony here is, they might not, and probably won't recognize what just happened but they'll feel good about the interaction. Yeah. yeah. And that's rapport. Rapport is two people meeting and both leaving from the interaction feeling good about what just happened. Mm. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not manipulative. It's just a ways and a means to get to a kind of a good place for both of you so that you can exchange hopefully some good ideas or you know, business cards at least.
0: Yeah. I find all of this so fascinating. I love like behu- human behavioral science and the things like that. There used to be this show on called Lie to Me. Do you guys remember this show? Oh yeah, I it was. A, it. it was a fantastic.
1: Do you watch it? I premise. haven't seen it. The premise no. was
0: this gentleman had become an expert at reading micro expressions. Micro expressions. Okay. So people's faces. So uh-huh. he could like tell if they were lying. He was like the human lie detector. Yeah. Kind of like. Not like Robert De Niro and Meet the Parents, but like along that line, like <laughs> yeah. you could tell when somebody was lying and they used it to solve crimes and stuff. I and mean, I think it was a couple seasons. It was an interesting show. But When I was watching that show, I felt like I was learning and then I was paying too much attention to it. And I got to hear one of your talks and I feel like that's probably something people run into often. is like when you're paying yes. too much attention to it and overanalyzing or overthinking well, it.
1: Well, the thing is that, I mean, it's, it's Hollywood. It was based on, you know, sure. a, a good premise, but they just ran a, a mock with it really. Yeah. They're... There are micro-expressions, 1 of a second, a flash of emotion, but think about that, okay, situationally. There's very few times where someone has to really guard what they're feeling mm-hmm. to the degree that they, they, may feel, they may feel a strong, sudden urge of anger or contempt or whatever, but a micro-expression is actually quite rare, and it's certainly rare enough that you couldn't say from one expression... I got you. I know yeah. you're lying. I know Ooh. you're full, you know, full of it.
0: It doesn't work that I way. had the sneaking suspicion it was totally the Hollywood version <laughs> yeah. of like perfectly good science. It which but is.
1: it was good. And it was based on Paul Ekman's work, who, of course, is you know, the grandfather of facial expression right. research and analysis and body language. And he began, I think he, at least now, a California um, scientist or, or teacher or professor. But he started out treating people. And he had people coming in with the patients like psychology patients that were trying to hide emotions to get out of hospital for the weekend, for the week, or to get their treatment stopped so they could leave. And they were, they were hiding sadness. And when they went back looking at one of the patients that committed suicide after they left, they found in one frame, a flash of sadness Mm. during one of the questions where they asked, are you feeling okay? How do you feel about your life coming up? And, so there was a micro-expression flash that needed to be subdued or, or hidden from sight to facilitate this patient getting out. So then they're like, well, there has to be something that to- would have told yeah. us if we'd known what to look for. And that's where that whole thing began.
2: I had a friend in New York when I lived there who photographed celebrity events. And she said, I remember the day after Heath Ledger had accidentally overdosed or however it he passed. But she said, oh, I, I remember editing a photograph of him the day before he passed that was I'd taken at an event two or three days before he passed. And he oh, looked so wow. sad when I was editing the photo. I had this gut feeling. Something was wrong. Something was wrong in him.
1: Yep. Oh. But that's a, that's a lesson for us all. Because, yeah. you know, very often with these attacks and these people that, you know, go off the reservation and suddenly just shoot the place up, there's often all of these little telltale signs where they either feel ostracized or they are ostracized. They're on the outskirts and nobody's really looking anymore. Because one of the things that we all fall into the trap of doing is when we meet someone and we make a judgment call about that person, we very rarely revisit, reassessing that individual. We just say, I know you, I know who you are, and we don't revisit. And the problem with that is we're not paying enough attention later on to see the signals that might indicate this person is not quite with it or they're depressed or they are withdrawing. We don't notice. And of course, the other aspect is we're also bloody busy all the time. Reaching out to say, hey, how are you? And really meaning it is hard to do because what are you afraid of? They'll tell you. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've all been guilty of that. Like, how are you doing? Yeah. And the answer is not fine. And you're like, you want to like, hey, listen, <laughs> I don't know if you understand yes. the cultural norms, but I was just asking and you were supposed to say this and it wasn't yes. supposed to turn into yeah. this 25-minute conversation. About, yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> There, you see, and that's exactly what happens. You do. You, you say, you, "I asked, but did you really have to tell me?" <laughs> but that's part of being emotionally adept at reading the signals and and then knowing. Yeah. Okay, right now I don't have time to ask you, but this afternoon after lunch, you mm-hmm. know, when we leave tonight, we'll go grow. That's you know, such a better ch-
0: way to do it. Like, hey, I'm crazy busy right now. I want yes. to. I want
1: to catch up. Want to catch up?
0: I got a time. Let's schedule. Let's talk. Yes.
1: Yes, but you have to see the signal to know to ask. And that's one of the things that I love about teaching body language is to get people in tune with that so they can. So they can Mm -hmm. adapt whatever it is they're going to do to the circumstances and make it fit their agenda. So
0: earlier you mentioned that... You were always a student of body language. I'm really curious as to what was going on in your life and what were the circumstances and situations to when you thought I'm going to make this transition and just focus on this because I think this is going to make a difference in people's lives. Well, I think was there for a catalyst me, that led you there?
1: Yeah. Well, there was a catalyst that got me interested in body language and growing up as a kid I had a volatile father who was violent and he wasn't that violent. I've heard plenty of people with worse childhoods than mine, but he was volatile enough and unpredictable enough that I knew if I wasn't paying attention to the signals he was giving off, I might miss something. Mm -hmm. And then the emotional impact of having him go off on me for whatever reason was substantially greater. So I I was always attentive. Now I didn't realize at the time, but that was a front row seat to a really good training. Well, I didn't think much of it. I went through the military. I actually managed to get myself on a human behavior and body language course while I was in the military as well. And then when I got out, it was a hobby. I just liked learning it. But I was learning it at that point and studying it because, A, I was really curious about it and it fascinated me. But I was also passing on some of that information to my students that I was teaching combatives to, like how to fight your way out of something. like, well, you can. Sure, go ahead and train. Well, what about if you could see it coming sooner? So it, it was kind of an, it was a, a part of the curriculum, but it wasn't necessarily something that I thought I was going to focus on. But what happened was as I was being asked to come in and teach personal safety as active shooter situations started to grow and attacks that were, that were happening, people were like, this just came out of nowhere. And I'm like, it never comes out of just nowhere. It's not in a vacuum. People were saying, well, we want to learn what you can teach us. And I would come in and teach that curriculum rather than how to fight your way out of it. Through those presentations, yeah. people would come up at the end and say, I love the way you presented. You were so relaxed and so authentic and, and funny or whatever they would say. Right. How do I do it? I'm like, well, try this and try that. So then another curriculum was born. So it wasn't necessarily I went from this to this, you know, quick yeah. change. But I've, it evolved.
0: I've heard similar stories from people in different fields. And do you find it's a lot more rewarding now that you're treating the actual disease instead of the symptoms? Do you find, is that kind of a comparison that you like put between the two? I think that's a
1: great comparison. And yes, uh, you know what, I enjoyed both. I enjoyed teaching people how to fight because growing up with my old man as a role model, I hate bullies. I hate people that feel like, oh, I can subject you to something I want you to do regardless of how you feel about doing it. I love the idea of that person on the receiving end of a bully being able to level that guy and go, Nah, not today. And mm-hmm. you know, especially for women, that's brilliant. As far as I'm concerned, that's yeah. gold all the way.
0: <laughs> I think that's so true. Do you guys believe that, like, there's a big emphasis now on no bullying that I feel didn't exist when I was going to school? What are your guys' thoughts? Do you think it's getting better? Bullying? Bullying? I, like, there's certainly an awareness of it that there didn't used to be. Like, it's, but I'm not certain that it's. I don't think any the awareness
2: different. means it's better. I mean, ah, gosh, isn't it like a, just a human hierarchy thing and that sort of angst that comes with puberty and all that, and you get the hierarchy of just, you know, their father treated them this way, and they're, I mean, would you say it's going mm-hmm. away, Terry? I
1: don't think it's going away. No, and I think there was just an incident in my subdivision where kids were getting off the school bus. They got a little fight club going on. No? Nope. Yeah, so they were getting off the bus, like 30, 40 kids. Two would jump in the middle, and off they go. And one kid challenged another kid one week. And so, the, you know, cops having to be. I think it's always going to hmm. be there. The only way to stop bullying, unfortunately, is often to stop the bully. Now, of course you have two approaches, don't we? We have the naughty kid's syndrome, smack him on the wrist, tell them to the teachers, you report to police and all that stuff. Well you have some kid that decides not today and punches him in the nose. I think the trouble is now we end up in a situation where a kid gets bullied long enough. Yeah. They go home, they pick up the nearest yeah. weapon that they can use and they go back into school and everybody gets some.
2: So that's a victim every oh yeah, that's a victim of a bully. Not a lot of times they're Correct. receiving Yep. They don't know how to yeah.
1: They how, don't know how, how you, to handle
0: it. Yeah. How would how were you told to handle bullies, Josh?
2: My dad was old school. He just said he just said, "Say not today, and give him your. You just punch him in the face.
0: Stand up for yourself, son. Wow. Don't turn the other cheek. Show him what you're made of." I think that was such a common parental thing because I heard a very similar thing like, "Don't mm-hmm. throw the first punch, son." But like if End somebody it. is bullying you, right? End it. Don't End it. don't be anybody's doormat. Oh. That's, yeah. It's the same kind of thing that you're saying to stop a bully. Sometimes that's what's necessary. And I wonder what parents today are telling their kids. I mean.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what do you think about this whole turn the other cheek thing? I know it comes from the Bible and Jesus said it, but it seems to be like
0: easily taken out of context, right? Like keep turning our other cheek. I mean, it's like, what are we doing? I think it is. I think it's very easily taken out. Because in the context when that scripture was shared, Jesus was saying turn the other cheek when it's for religious persecution. If they are persecuting you because you're a follower of me, turn the other cheek. He was not saying if somebody punches you, just offer the other cheek because somebody's being a jerk. That wasn't the context <laughs> that was being shared there.
1: Isn't that an interesting contrast, though, between those two ideals? Because to me, if you've been persecuted in any way, mm-hmm. you happen to be the smallest kid in the classroom or you happen to be the kid that's different. And some other kids decide, okay, well, you're going to be the entertainment for me for the next three weeks. I grew up, especially with my upbringing i went to school mad like i went into school angry because i'd had a bad night or a bad morning or Mm. something had happened and then one kid had crossed me and you get a push or get a shove from some kid you know two years ahead of me and it was on like donkey kong so i went all the way through high school scrapping. if somebody even looked at me slightly wrong i'm like really you want to go there because i had this undercurrent already of that of that anger but i don't know what kids are being told now i know what i'm telling my kids I'm like, if you get put in a position where you cannot walk away, it needs to be ended. It needs to be ended quickly. Yeah,
0: That's a tough thing to try and educate a child to understand, or even a teenager, or even an adult, really, because there is a point of no return where the situation escalates to, I believe this, like we talked to CJ and CJ wrote a book called The Badass Guy, where she was wrote a book to talk to about how to be aware of a situation as a female, where you can prevent yourself from getting abducted or put into a situation where you get taken advantage of. And one of the things she said in there that I remember very well was the idea that if the perpetrator asks you to go to the car or tries to get you to a different place, the time to reason is over, you should fight. Mm-hmm. Because statistically, what she was pointing out is if that were to happen, if you went to a different place, yeah, the likelihood of back. you getting murdered is, is high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very. So at that point, there's just... You need to scrape car, cut. But
1: that, you see, now that to me, that's a prime example. That's great advice. You're in this position, and yes, at this point, you're better off drawing the line in the sand. I'm going to fight. Yeah. What preceded all of the time up to the point where you were accosted? Right. What were you doing during that interim time period? Mm-hmm. Well, you can teach kids Anything, as long as you teach it to them in a way I think that's positive rather than just fear-mongering. My kids are brilliant at paying attention to what's going on around them. Mm. I never made them paranoid. I don't scare them. Do I test them when we go out? You bet. I'm like, okay, everyone just close your eyes real quick and describe the three closest males, what they're wearing, their height, their shoes, and what you think, whether they're right-handed or left-handed. Now, most of the time, they'll get at least half of that information right. You can train them to do anything, including be attentive, right up to the point where yeah. it might be necessary to fight.
0: And I think she would share that sentiment, like the the much better approach is to not put yourself in the position at all and yes, find out I how to avoid the situation. I and, guarantee you um, she feels So what do you way. think that threshold is with kids nowadays? Like how do you help them understand? Like there's probably a point where it's like, yep, if somebody crossed the line, you need to – it's okay. You need to just – <laughs> you did, that thing. Um,
1: even the fact that we're dancing around what you should say to your kids is indicative of the time we are in with political correctness mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. being afraid to say the wrong thing. And somebody sure. gets up in arms about it when I was growing up. Okay. I didn't have the greatest example. My old man was if somebody p- gets you, you know, pinned to a corner and you have no way out, yeah. you fight and you make sure you finish that fight because that guy, if he hits the ground hard enough, all his friends are going to look at that and go, I don't want any of that. Yeah. He puts off the next person. Right. But no one will say that now. Sure. Like, oh, no. And the Trump. policies
0: have changed. Like now it's they a zero have. tolerance policy, right? For whatever yeah. reason you find yourself in a fight, which I think is a little crazy. But I understand how we got there. I used to be a camp counselor. And this is, a, this is always what I think of as like the most appropriate time to turn around and deck somebody. So it was camp counselor at this camp for teens. And there was this kid that was doing this very annoying thing that he was calling credit card swiping. He would take his hand and, like, go up somebody's butt crack <laughs> and be like, credit <laughs> card swipe. Oh, you know, stupid, that? You that? No. stupid teenager stuff. No. We had neck slapping, oh. yeah, neck slappers. Yeah, just stupid teenager stuff, probably well-humored, whatever. He was he was doing it to people a little. Bit. And he does it to this, I'm um, standing as a counselor, I'm watching it happen, and there's, like, a lunch line kind of scenario, and there's this kid that's just, like, a like a farm boy, just, like, a, just a, I'm just a farm boy, he's wearing overalls, he just looks the part right after. The little kid thought his funny game would work on this kid that he didn't know, and he's like, credit card swipe, and the kid just turned around and punched him in the face. And I thought, as a camp counselor, I'm like, well, that's an appropriate reaction to what just happened. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I feel like that was the appropriate response. And we were talking about it later, and I was like, I don't really think like anybody should be punished. I think exactly what happened should have happened. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, yeah, card denied. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But don't you think also part of that is us interpreting what happened and taking it on a case-by-case basis? If yeah. some kid got pinned in the corner by a big kid in school oh, and yeah. the little kid kicks the big kid's ass, you can say, well, what happened? Well, he's been picking on me for the last three months. Nah, psh, you know, we're Actually, done here. Yeah. Thanks right. very much.
0: You're like, most people would be like, perfect.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Case closed. Case closed. <laughs> close. Cheers, have a nice day. Common sense. Uh-huh.
0: But I understand the other side of it. Nobody wants the fight where the little kid gets bullied and beat up and that's the end of
1: the story. Nope. We don't want that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why, case by case, everything has to be done on the merits of whatever information or facts that you have available.
0: Relevant Media Solutions believes that marketing is storytelling. They help take business owners from feeling scared that their ineffective website is losing business, embarrassed of their online presence, and worry that their customers are not finding them, to business leaders with a useful website that grows their business and sees customers return. Let them help you tell your story. Visit RelevantMediaSolutions.com today. I want to dive into a little bit of what you were talking about and how you can use these principles and methods to become a more effective communicator. And uh, you mentioned video content. Josh and I do a lot of networking. I go to a lot of networking events and um, I don't consider myself to be an expert, but I'm pretty good at reading when people don't do it right. <laughs> kind of the same way that I feel like I'm a qualified judge on American Idol when somebody doesn't sing well. I feel like I got that down. And so I think I know some of the stuff to avoid, but I'm really curious to hear like, what are the things to do?
1: Well. If you think about going out to it let's just use networking as, yeah, a, as a prime it. example you're meeting someone for the very first time with the under the pretense that you want to build up some sort of relationship a friendship exchange business cards whatever right but we still can't step past the fact that for the first few seconds we're in instinctive mode where our primitive brain our reptilian brain is assessing whether the person you've just met is a potential threat right. a friend or are you going to end up indifferent they didn't have any impact on you whatsoever the shorter you can make that assessment period, the better. Well, how do you placate the reptilian part of your brain that so desperately wants to figure out whether this person is a potential problem? Right. Educated. And you 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 go into each interaction putting off the signals you would like to see in return. If those signals are replicated by the other person, you have already started and established a great starting point of rapport. Mm. But you have to you have to kind of set aside what your instincts are telling you to do, which to be guarded, and we have a default set of indifference to somebody new that we meet. We're waiting, we're measuring them. Are we going to yeah. like them? You got to, and that's probably a bit self
0: defense mechanism. It is absolutely self yeah.
1: defense. I mean, our current brains and their size and, and weight and the way they are right now—they're five hundred thousand years old. But the reptilian part of the brain—that's millions of years old. You're not fighting that. It's funny. I had a group that I spoke to recently, and one of the women says, "Like, I do not approach." Every interaction with somebody new, worrying about whether they're going to yeah, they're going to attack me. False. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, no. You're not aware that you do consciously. No, you're not. You go into it wondering whether this is a good business relationship for you or not. But your reptilian brain is way ahead of you mm-hmm. in assessing whether this person's a and there's probably issue. a
0: lot of variables there too. Like if she only networks in places where she feels safe, and the people have been vetted somehow, etc. Brilliant cetera, et cetera. point.
1: Brilliant point. Absolutely. Because I go out to these like, nighttime,
0: nighttime networking events and yeah. like some bar somewhere, Like, and I've never met these people before. Yep. Like, I totally understand, but I never heard it articulated that way. That's such a good point. You have to overcome this kind of instinctual moment quickly yes. so that you can actually get to see if there's a meaningful relational connection there.
1: You know what? If you can't overcome it, at least acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. If you know it's there, there are workarounds, but yeah. you have to at least know and understand the that at a fundamental, basic level, your brain is designed to figure out threat, friend, or foe. Yeah, you know? and and then to be indifferent if the, if it doesn't come up with either one of the friends or the threat um, situations, and it, and it moves on. And we have this indifferent response to people that we don't necess- that don't necessarily impact us emotionally one way or the other. I sometimes say that you're often better off having a bad first impression. At least you had an impression, than leaving no impression at all. Yeah. Now, of course, yes, if you can maximize how effective you are there's no reason why you should walk away from an interaction Mm -hmm. that didn't go well unless you chose to change the course of that interaction through your own behavior yeah so I
0: love that we have an expert here and instead of just asking like for some tips Josh are you cool with just like because you've met us a couple times we we met out front we shook hands and I just want to know what
1: you thought oh (laughs) he's gonna read us this is great Yeah. (laughs) all right let me start with Josh you've been been talking (laughs) to us for a while (laughs) put that radio voice aside for just a second. <laughs> oh, shit. So you, have, you know your energy is actually really good, and you have a, you're confident enough to be able to look someone in the eye and smile warmly. So for you individually, I would say don't worry about lifting the eyebrows, trying to present a friendlier version of yourself necessarily. Now, when we first met, which was at that event you know, a week or so ago, you were a tiny bit guarded, but everybody is. That is, that is not specific to you. You had a one to two second instinctive response to me, mm-hmm. which meant that as you smiled, you were still no blinking, no breathing, no swallowing, just for those few seconds mm. while you assessed. You decided <laughs> in, in that one or in two pocket. seconds, <laughs> I think I like you. You were still on the fence. You wouldn't have jumped straight in like, oh yeah, definitely like that guy. Yeah. It was just enough to be, Okay, I think I could. I think that guy, I think we can get along. And when the minute that happened, your face softened up completely. There was none of that, I'm in the middle of a school Mm -hmm. report kind of concentration. But your eyes still smiled. And you can, as guys, if you don't and aren't comfortable raising your eyebrows, just smile with your eyes. You don't have to get goofy with it with a huge cheesy grin every time you meet someone. Have a twinkle in your eye that says, I'm interested in you. I want to hear about you. Tell me. And the other person, believe me, though, they will. Yeah. Now, the interesting part <laughs> for you.
0: For Joe? Switching to me. Yes. Oh, this is for Joe, Joe, everyone. Oh, wait, hold a on. Joke. I want so. to verify what he's saying for a second. Yeah, Josh yeah. is totally that kind of guy. He's very genuine, and he's very caring, and he really is interested in what people have going on, so I think you nailed it.
1: Okay, that's
2: good. Huh, that's interesting. Good. But the eyebrow use, could, I could bring it down a little bit.
0: Oh, I didn't hear him say you should not do the eyebrow thing. No. He said just, you might not need to because... Oh, I might not need to you because, might not because need I've to. got it. You, you I,
1: have a smile and that's all a lot yeah. of times it takes with guys... We're so guarded in the first few seconds, yeah. a lot of times, and of course, I know people listening to this can't see, but there's that stoic, what I call the RBF syndrome, yeah. mm-hmm. the resting bitch face, where they, <laughs> there's there's no there's no emoting, there's no emotion in the yeah. face. It's just deadpan while they figure out, well, do I like you? Sure, it? sure. Well, all guys can do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. The Donald they, Trump
1: face. Yeah. It's just flat. It's yeah. it's sort of dead. Well, yeah. emote something. Give yeah. the other person something to latch to, and yeah. that smile. In the eyes, just a softening of the. I'm interested. That's gold. That will in, nine times out of ten entice the other person to to speak and and to be warm and receptive to your interaction.
2: Well, I appreciate the uh, your insight on me because so that lines up with what I've observed about me throughout the years. Is that you know I've got the goods. Just chill out. Trust trust that it's there. Yeah. Don't try too hard.
0: Absolutely. There you go. Yep. On ah, to
1: you already knew about the body language. And That's right. Somebody already knows ahead of time. That I they're was gonna hoping meet- you were going to say this because I watched your thing, <laughs> and I was
0: super aware of everything I was doing when yes, I met sure. you. Yeah, right. All right, and so then, go ahead.
1: <laughs> that when people know that they're going to meet someone and they've already heard or learned about, they change their normal baseline behavior, and how that tends to come across often is a little wooden. The timing's not quite right. When, let's say, for instance, we were in one of my DIRT courses and I'm teaching you how Uh to recognize a psychopath or a sociopath. One of the things is the timing in what they do tends to be just a little off kilter. It's not quite fluid enough. Mm -hmm. A genuine smile tends to arrive and leave the face quicker because it's not, it's often not felt emotionally. It's just a contrived version of the smile they know they need to provide to blend in. The same thing happens when someone feels self-conscious. It's not because they're a psychopath or a sociopath. It's because they feel self-conscious, and so some of their internal emotions end up being muted. And when they're muted, the timing's a little off, which is why there is definite value in practicing being comfortable with yourself regardless of who you meet. Even if you think the person you're about to meet yeah, can see and notice everything. Because
0: I I was anticipating asking this question, and I thought <laughs> oh, that's because I watch, I got to watch one of your, your one of your talks, which was fascinating and really good, by the way. Thank you. And I thought one of the things you kept saying over and over again is like caution. Being aware of this has the tendency to change your behavior if you let it. <laughs> if you don't practice, <laughs> and so like I just kept it's thinking true. like I'm going to meet him. This I know he's going to try and read me in the first second <laughs> that I meet him, and I wonder how I'm going to do. And I just. Whereas I don't feel that when I meet nope. you know, I, the gentleman who was in here before you, for example. <laughs> I wasn't as concerned about whether he was going <laughs> to read me. Uh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. No, it's definitely one of those weird things where you start thinking about your behavior. And the moment you do that without practice on what you want your behavior to be, it changes. And, yeah. the, and it what usually is the difference is the speed with which some of the responses or interactions occur, they come and go slightly quicker than is natural. Yeah. And when that happens, we, on the receiving end, whether you know about body language or you don't, have an instinctive response wow. that tends to make us feel more guarded.
0: What an interesting juxtaposition that there's a ton of value in learning and educating yourself about body language, yes. and yet knowing it, if you're not careful, <laughs> can jeopardize like your interactions with other people
1: yes again you do you definitely go through a period where you become very self-conscious the funny thing was about getting up to teach body language when I first started I was I was let off the hook a little bit because I was only talking about dangerous behavior Mm -hmm. so I had some latitude to be myself whilst I delivered this information I wasn't concerned that my behavior might be misconstrued as dangerous when I spoke yeah but as you become and, and as I became more proficient at speaking and being asked to do different things outside of teaching people how to recognize dangerous individuals, I started to become much more self-conscious about how <laughs> I spoke, especially when I had a couple of executives come up and say, hey, we want you to teach our team how to be like this, like yeah. you, authentic. And I was like, yes. And then right. I'm like, how am I? You you have a moment, uh-huh. then you start analyzing what you do. And then you do it in front of people. Yes. Which changes stuff. Uh it, <sighs> it was it was awful. Like and I and it felt awful for quite a while. Yeah. It took quite a bit of practice. All the compounding things. Yes, yeah. To get me back to being normal again. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, great, I'm past it. And but that's what happens with people when they first yeah. start learning how to read it. You get self-conscious and then eventually you get past it. One of the things that I really appreciate in your talk
0: and I want to talk about a little bit more, and you actually mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the dangerous situation scenario, and you were like, It's probably not just one thing. But you mentioned it's usually a cluster yes. of things. There's usually a collection of things that help you build an accurate picture of what's going on. And that might be that Hollywood magic you were saying probably isn't the case. Like you don't see a mic, oh Josh's eyebrow went up. He is he's gonna bite his nails later. Like it's not yeah. that kind of a thing. It's not, no. But it you can recognize a pattern of behavior, which means you need a broader understanding of stuff yes. so that you can understand all the contributing factors. I equivalent that to something that makes me think, Oh, this probably isn't BS. Cause that's like the context of the situation.
1: Yes. Because
0: yeah. everybody has quirks. Like you were saying, there's a mm-hmm. genuine way that I am when I'm being genuine. And when we first meet, you don't know that yet. Nope. Just like you didn't know that about Josh. And when Josh got to say hi to you, he'd already met you once. So you got to bypass that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> Just there's so many layers to it that makes you, if you want to actually make good decisions or good inferences that could be useful and help put other people at ease and help establish trust, then you have to be smarter than just like, you know, people lie when they look down into the left. Is
1: that what it is you hear? Is one of the common things I hear. Yeah. No, I can't stand all that stuff. Yes, you're absolutely right. You do have to already know in advance that your behavior is going to affect the other person. I mean, essentially the three principles to reading anyone, this baseline, what's normal for that person, the context of the environment, the situation, the questions that you asked, who's watching, all of these things can impact. And then you have clusters. How many sets of signals did you see that are all in the same zip code? Well, then you're onto a behavior that you can sort of relatively um, be assured you're right. You know, you've seen a group of signals. Now, if one errant signal said, well, no, you just stretched in your chair and reached back to pop your back. You've probably been sitting in that chair on and off for hours. Yeah. Well, if I were to just say that that one signal, you backing away in your chair to stretch your back was indicative of behavior that's a gest- <laughs> it's funny it's a gestural retreat it's backing away from what's happening but it had no bearing on this <sighs> situation it was you being comfortable right the context was oh, you dear. just want to stretch in your chair yeah well if i was to just take that one singular signal and say oh he just backed away. Yeah, but he's nervous. He's not interested in He's not interested. I have to say. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I could infer anything I wanted. Right. It doesn't work that way. The totality of signals are what help guide us and make us accurate. So I think what you have to share is so awesome.
0: Maybe there's a couple of things that you would say when making a presentation, here's a couple of things to do. Here's a couple of things to avoid.
1: Okay, if you're gonna get up to do a presentation, know your material well enough that you don't need reams of notes. You should be able to put half an hour's worth of information in nine words. And you can then speak for half an hour on those, on those nine things without nothing more than a glance or, in most cases, a PowerPoint. A couple of words, boom, boom, boom. And you have all the information that you need. You nail the first few minutes. That is absolutely critical because when you come out in front of an audience, you're at your most uncomfortable traditionally. Mm-hmm. That's when the nerves are the worst before you settle in. Well, that's also ironically when the audience is most focused on whether they're going to like what you're going to deliver. Mm. So if you're going to practice content, practice the first few minutes and just coming out like a rock star. Now, what do I mean by a rock star? Be yourself. But be yourself about 20% more enthusiastic than you ever thought possible (laughs) because most people come in way under where they need to be. You want to bring it in 20% above what you think is that's too much. And you will, nine times out of ten, be exactly where you need to be. Now, if you happen to be already like a cheerleader on Helium, no. Come in normal (laughs) and stay there. But for most people, come in and nail that first two or three minutes. Get the audience on your side. And the last piece of advice I would say to that is start with a question that primes the audience to reply. It's something fun they can get involved in because it defers attention for a moment away from you. And tells them subconsciously, I may be up here, you know, doing my presentation, but this is all about you. And that immediately puts the audience in a position yeah. where like, okay, now I'm paying attention because mm-hmm. this is something for me.
0: I like that. This guy knows that I'm here. He knows that yes. I exist and yeah. therefore he might give me some useful information.
1: Yeah, don't ever start out saying, I am just so excited to be here. Who cares whether you're excited to be there? Yeah. It's the audience. <laughs> they should be excited. Get them excited with something that engages them first. Then you can tell any anecdote or story that you want. But get them on your side first and nail that first few minutes. Mm -hmm.
0: What are some common presentation mistakes?
1: (laughs) The first one is not enough enthusiasm when they first come out. Not pausing, which is something during a podcast I'm trying not to do too much of because it's dead air. (laughs) But to a live audience, pause. Yeah. That moment shows control. And that's what you want them to know. You want them mm-hmm. to know that you're confident in the information and you don't mind the silence.
0: Yeah, and avoid filler words, I think, because that just takes your silence and destroys it.
1: Correct. Well, but it undermines everything. I just did a video on this. Like, um, ah, uh-huh. so, you know. Why? Yeah. You know your material. Be, be, be silent. So let me tell you, I edit podcasts,
0: uh, obviously this one and others, and so I'm, I'm trying to become efficient at it, and I found this new tool called Descript, And what it does is it will take the audio file, say it's an hour long audio file, and it will highlight filler words and delete them and tell me how many filler words are in there. So I've been starting this fun game with myself Wow! as we're producing (laughs) our shows. So like how many filler words are going to be in there and kind of running a total in my mind and trying to guess. (laughs) <laughs> what, how, what are they the words?
2: Let's just do it. Um, i like, huh? i um, like, huh? Um, yeah, like, I and mean, they'll each doesn't... come up, and then you yeah. select uh, it,
0: and then you say, please uh, remove all so... of these, and it'll tell you how many of them there were. Uh-huh. And. Uh-huh. Like. Uh-huh. But sometimes I'll see, like, hour-long show, 420 words removed. Yeah.
1: That's crazy.
0: It's a lot of filler. It's, it's too filler. many. Yeah. But if you go through and you remove it, it really feels like we prepared more than we did. Love it.: It sounds like what you're saying, you knew your stuff. You knew what you were doing and you're setting yep. people up and you're making them look like they are they're they were more prepared than we sometimes come in. Now, in, in conversation, I don't mind the filler words, but in presentation, and I think that's kind of the difference here with a podcast or giving
1: a talk. Well, that's a good point for people who are listening to this. If you can start eliminating them during regular conversation with your friends, with those people that already know you and you can cut them out. Yeah. It is significantly easier to do it on stage. Mm. But if you have the habit, of, I uh, will get geared over the weekend, like, you yeah. know, and, uh, you are going to have a devil's own time eliminating them on stage when the nerves make all our, our bad behaviors amplify.
0: Yeah. But there is something powerful about a public speaker inserting silence, like knowing when to leave it. It gets people's attention back in certain cases. Yeah. Sometimes it emphasizes a point. The longer your pause is, lets people know, like, oh, what, what
1: they just said was important.
0: It gives time to process. I should have wrote that down. That seemed like the important one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I should have t- done some notes <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Well, the other thing is when you pause, and especially to a large room, you have five, six hundred people, and you pause, and everybody feels that. You can come in under where you would normally speak, and people will lean in to what you're saying. Mm. and then you know you've got them. When you have a room of people, all lean forward just a little bit because you started quietly, and now you're building up to this yeah. next really salient point. You know you have got the audience where you want them, and where do you want them? Interested in learning. If you've if you've achieved that, you've done your job.
0: That's awesome. I remember I read a book. Maybe it wasn't in a book. Maybe it was in a talk, but Simon Sinek was talking about common mistakes that people make when presenting, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this are He said, one common mistake I see is that people talk on their way to the podium. If they get asked in a networking event and they will stand up and walk and talk and start their presentation before they get there. And he was saying, suggestion would be get there, give yourself a second and start.
1: I agree with that. I think it just depends on the boss and some people can't wait to get started, Yeah. but an audience will see that immediately. So let's say for instance, it's not out of a nervous knee jerk response that the person starts talking. They're literally coming on the stage and they're like, hey, how are you? It's that's so good to see point. you. That's enthusiasm. People and can read your
0: authenticity. Absolutely. If that's you if and that's you do you, it and it
1: feels like you. Do it.
0: I think you're right. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of you know coaching that needs to be done on a case-by-case basis because mm-hmm. one size does not fit all. But there are some times when it is better to walk to the center of stage, take control of that space, and then deliver your information. Yeah. And and have that moment where you controlled everything right up to that point. And sometimes we just want to roll on and go with it. And I do that a lot when I'm presenting dirt because people come in with a preconceived idea if they haven't seen me speak before that this is dangerous individual recognition training. They're about to learn how not to die. This is going to be the most depressing thing they've ever experienced. And instead, I roll out and I go full chuckle mode. Let's have fun learning how to be empowered with the information that'll keep you safe so you don't ever have to be scared and paranoid. Yeah. And people love it. But it it, it did take me a little while to get there. When I first started, I did fall into the trap of being like a sergeant major from the military. I'm going to teach you how not to die. Pay attention. I'm like, (laughs) no. People still want to learn, but let's have fun doing it. So I rolled into into my speeches like, okay, we're going to have fun.
0: So back to the whole networking thing. So you do that first thing. You've got to be aware of it as fast as you can. What are some of the things that you notice when you're out networking? Or are like, ooh, they probably shouldn't have done it that way.
1: <laughs> I think that generationally, as the the older the older folks that are networking, they tend to be firmer with the handshake. They look you in the eye. They mm-hmm. take that pause. We got a generation coming up that may not have even learned that. I had a girl get up at the event I just did a, a week ago, whose handshake was a little bit like kissing the ring. It, there, was no, <laughs> <laughs> there was no substance. You to may it. have my hands you may now. Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to embarrass her any more than having her up was already embarrassing her. But part of me is like, what do you want me to do with this? Grab my hand and shake it. So, the handshake is definitely a factor. Another factor is people that tip their chins up and expose their neck when they first sort of look at you, that whole, hey, what's up kind of thing. Yeah. When they don't know you and there's no correlating smile, that's not excitement. That's basically dominance. It's them challenging you. <laughs> well, if I see that, you can count me out. I'm gone. It's huh. I'm li- literally, I'll be like, yep, not not staying for this. I'm out of here. I have this theory that is
0: th- probably completely wrong, but I used to think that it was true because I often, when I see somebody like in a hall that I know or whatever, I'll go down to him, I'd be like, "So, yes." And if I don't know someone, I'm like, "So," and I go, "Oh, oh, oh really?" And I noticed that about myself. You like, put your <laughs> leg on him too. <laughs> <and> <laughs> take a
1: fist.
0: Maybe that's a bad thing, that's but like, I, I did thing. notice that that is that is my mode.
1: It's so funny because usually for most people that's flipped you hmm. do the up with people you know and no, trust no, yeah. because you expose your neck and say, listen, I know you're not going to attack me. <laughs> Here's my jugginess <jugular, laughs> <sir. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I trust you. What, but what usually happens is there's a correlating smile that goes, oh, hey, good to see you. That's yeah. entirely different than a blank expression that's like, sup? That, no, that's all challenge. That's all challenge. Wow. And with people that you know going down with that sign of respect, it's usually, it's usually completely inverted. You yeah. should, with strangers... If you ever actually consciously think about it, dip your head and go down. It covers the throat and says, I have respect for you. I've seen that you're a potential threat. And we're talking here in very simplistic, animalistic terms. But it says. But I love that
0: interpretation of there's a reason behind the behavior and understanding it gives you insight.
1: Yes. And now you can change it. And then when you see someone yeah. you don't know, don't, don't I'm just, go up with your chin. Say,
0: hey. <laughs> 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 just have a little neck tattoo that says, I trust you. <laughs> but you can only see it when you... Help me remember. I feel like I, I do have social challenges that I've learned throughout the year. Like my wife would help me for a long time, for years, being like, you need to make eye contact. I was not a big eye contact person. Mm. And it was awkward. She was totally right. Like, why don't you look people in the eyes? And I would only look people in the eyes that I know. Which means mm. I probably only knew a very few amount of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but having to pay attention to that and be like, why why am I not looking people in the eyes? I don't know if I ever figured it out, but I think I, I'm getting better at it. I don't think I've solved it. But, yeah, why, but knowing you, yourself, about, is
1: that not the best way to improve us? You know, yeah. if you get to say, Okay, what is one really quick way we can all improve? Know yourself. That's but right. know yourself honestly. What are your what are your bad habits. What are the good habits? And then amplify the good and see if you can't gradually do away with the bad as much as as humanly possible. So even though you're learning with the eye contact, great. Do more of it. So tell us a little
0: bit about Eye contact. Like, what's the kind of the rules with with eye contact when it comes to?
1: If you exceed eye contact with someone you've just met beyond two, three, four seconds at a time, it's probably going to get uncomfortable. And you'll know it gets uncomfortable because the person will do what you've just done, which is stop blinking once that eye contact has been held. And then they'll either break eye contact or you'll start seeing a a mask, kind of that fixed expression Mm -hmm. of, Mm -hmm. "Yeah, this is uh, getting weird." And 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 you'll see it.
2: Yeah, we did it in drama school. We had an exercise where we would stare into our classmates. We knew the person already, but it was a very intimate sort of group of 20, 23 people, whatever. It would lead
0: to either crying or laughter. <laughs> that feels right.
1: Those are the two yeah. outcomes. Yeah. And that yeah. that amount of time feels stare. right.
0: Like three seconds of eye contact is about appropriate. It's right? about right. Like, I see you. I acknowledge you. I acknowledge We're you. We're buddies. Yep. You stop looking at me now. Why are you still <laughs> looking at me? Like, <laughs> eyes get wider
1: kind of thing. Now that change and fluctuates depends on whether you're to, you're speaking or if the other person is speaking. If if mm. they're speaking, you can look for longer because they will tend to sense. look less as they try. You know, their eyes move around, pulling information that they're going to talk about. And so I that think that's changes. what my
0: that was the crux of what my wife would keep telling me. Like when people are speaking, you you feel free to look at them, and I yes. like, but I'm listening. But uh, by not yeah. looking, I wasn't communicating that I cared at all about what you were saying. Yes.
1: Uh. Definitely communicating you didn't care. Yeah. It's a good thing you have a wife, Joe. <laughs> it is a good Isn't thing. It? I'd be such a you wouldn't mess. have any friends. Yeah. <laughs> be, this would be a solo
0: cast and I would have zero listeners. So <laughs> Joe's thoughts on stuff nobody cares about. How would people get a hold of you to reach out to say, maybe you work at a company or an organization that could, that could benefit from this. Maybe you are on an executive team or a leadership team somewhere. You feel like, man, my leadership team could really benefit from this kind of training and we would be better bosses, we would be better equippers of our people, better listeners, better managers, how would people get a hold of you?
1: Please have them go visit TVEmpowers.com. The website will point them in all the direction. They can connect with me from there on LinkedIn, which is another platform that I use a lot, but TVEmpowers.com is definitely a good place to start.
0: TVEmpowers.com. I love asking people this question, and I'm curious. You went through what seems like a pretty major career change. From being military, training people how to fight, into now equipping and training people how to avoid fights, and then learning this whole new area, which is like, this is just good to know, and it'll make you better across the board and stuff. If you could borrow the DeLorean from Back <laughs> to the Future, <laughs> yeah, and you had 60 seconds in this scenario where you get to go back, <laughs> before you had that catalyst moment, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Right out of the gate, I would say, get on social media and start creating video content. Wow. I avoided it for years, years, because mm. I didn't like it. I do enjoy teaching people. Yeah, I didn't enjoy getting in front of a camera to deliver information. But ultimately, if I want to make the biggest impact with improving either emotional intelligence or the ability to recognize a threat or getting yeah. up and speaking yourself in front of a camera... The, the best way to do that is to scale using something that allows you to get more people at one time. And that would be social media. I kick myself for not doing it. And I encourage everybody else to get on board with creating content that can be spread around using tech.
0: Yeah. That's well said. I think you got to be authentic. You got to be yourself. But I noticed this. I got to spend like 10 years working at a church staff. And one of the things that I always found really interesting is the stats would always say something along the lines of people will visit your service online seven times before they come in person. Yes. And I think as a business owner and somebody in your realm who's doing teaching and education and idea products and getting them out there, people want to check you out before they come check you out.
1: Yes, they do. And that's what better way is there for someone to, first of all, experience you. Okay, do I like this person? Oh, I'm getting to know them. I'm yeah. enjoying this material. Now they trust you. And that's the thing. You're ultimately in the goal, whether it's at a networking event, meeting someone for the first time or putting content online, they need to get to know you so they can like you so yeah. they can trust you. So they want more of whatever it is you have to share.
0: And one more thing, this I really appreciate about this about you at no point in the conversation or the talk that I heard was this information presented as a way to get ahead, a way to nah. manipulate people a way to get what you want out of a situation, but it came from a place of knowing yourself. It came from a place of putting the other person at ease and how do you really establish trust and see if there's a relationship there, and I really appreciate
1: that. Now it's. I think people see through it. We, They may not have any body language skills in the world. They will see through phony in a heartbeat and That's run right. the other way. We all can. Everybody can, yeah. so don't go there. Just go from a place of... I can't wait to find out more about you not because you're working them but because you really want to know. Right. And then you can establish a relationship that will ultimately pay dividends down the road in far in excess of anything you can, you know, yeah. air quote manipulate.
2: But the more I learn about being successful in business, the more I've learned the importance of active listening, and this is such it's right up that alley, yeah. such a great approach to active listening.
0: If yes. you were to come in and do a workshop, it might be two hours long, three hours long?
1: Yeah, as long well, as long as I can get you. No, as long honestly, <laughs> It's one of those things, people are like, are you upselling me? And I'm like, no, it's gonna cost you exactly the same amount if I do a keynote or if we're here for six hours. The reason I like the extended workshops yeah. is because the more immersed you can be in the material, the more interactive I can make mm-hmm. it, the greater the likelihood you can actually implement the changes once the training has happened.
0: So if you're a part of an HR team or looking to book guests like Terry, be sure to check out his website. And I actually got to listen to one of his talks because Josh shared a link with me. I he went and saw you in person, and like I think he called from the lobby. He's like, yeah. "I got to talk to this yeah, guy. Yeah, this was, guy's going to be a great guest. Yeah, <laughs> You're going to want to hear that's this kind it." Of stuff. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, that's how it happened. Thank you. Very fantastic. inspiring. So I can't it. recommend you enough. Cheers. Yeah. You guys have a great afternoon or evening
2: wherever you are, wherever it is. Peace out, people. This episode of the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast is made possible by Forerunner Media. Forerunner Media is a creative agency helping you reach your strategic goals through content creation for social media and other platforms. Clients include Porsche USA, BMW Motorcycles, HH Hunt, the North Carolina Bankers Association, The Price Company, and Link Business, just to name a few. For every handful of satisfied paying customers, Forerunner Media does a project absolutely free for organizations who are doing good for their communities. Contact josh.manning at forerunner.media today for more information. Forerunner Media, your content creation partner. We love making this stuff for you. You can help
0: us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck,
1: tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question What are you doing today?